So uh, that is out there. Then we have this one, a supernatural prayer life. So important yeah. uh, to learn what's on the inside of you and how to tap into that flow that's going to bring blessing to the earth. And then uh, this book on worship. I, I so appreciate this book. You, there's, a, there's a history and a story behind it. Uh, but it's something that God spoke to Brother Norval Hayes, and I want to read to you what God said to him years ago. And Brother Norval went to heaven, and I had it in my heart, pick up that message. Mm -hmm. yep. And so that's where this book came out of. I did not reteach his message, but I retaught the message God gave him a portion. And I want to read it to you this morning. God said to Brother Norval, my children basically love me, but they live in poverty and sickness and defeat. They don't live in heaven's blessings because they don't worship me enough. I'm their God and they're my children. If you'll teach my children to worship me more, I'll do great and mighty things for them. Amen. 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 Well, with an offer like that, who wants to sit silent, you know? Amen. And so those materials are back there. They'll be a blessing to you this morning. Turn with me, if you would, to um, let's go to Ephesians in chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. And I'm going to read out the Amplified. If maybe on your device, if you're using a device, you may want to pull up the Amplified translation if you have that capability. Otherwise, you can follow along in your translation that you have. Uh, but God began dealing with me about this um, long before your need ever showed up. He already supplied the answer. Amen. That's so good. This is one of the things that I preached the last service before my husband went home to be with the Lord. I preached, God put your answer in you before your need ever shows up. And uh, I remember on, I preached that on a Tuesday night and on a Friday when my husband went home to be with the Lord, I thought back, what's the last thing God said to us to teach? Because God's always in front of things. And I remembered he had me to teach that before your need ever shows up, God's already put your answer in you. So I wasn't looking here <laughs> to heaven for my answer. I was looking here. Amen. 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 But long before your need ever showed up, the genius of God, yeah. Yeah. the wisdom of God, put your answer in the earth and in you. Amen. Amen. So that means that when something shows up and it catches you off guard, the answer is already prepared and waiting for your faith to lay hold of it. God is not behind. He makes us the head and not the tail. He puts us in front of things. God has never been behind on anything. He's never been behind on, on your need. He's never been behind on what the enemy's doing. He's never been behind. He's always in front. And I don't mean barely in front, far in front. Amen. And I want to read to you, I know you're looking there in Ephesians, but I'm just going to read to you real quickly what Revelations 13, 8 says. It says that Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. What's that mean? He's far in front of man's need. He is already prepared the need before the answer, before the need ever shows up. So God knew man was going to fall. You say, well, why did God create man? Because he still gave him a choice. 
Amen. Amen. And so then he prepared the supply of Jesus long before sin ever showed up. And then Jesus came and walked out that plan. So notice this. This is our privilege. God planned your life long before you showed up. Now it's your privilege to walk it out. Amen. So the backside of redemption, which is God's part, was long in place before man ever fell. So notice there's the backside of something. We only see the front, the front side of things. But the backside of something is that unseen realm. Most of us, I assume, would have computers in this day and age. Some of them are friendly to us. Some are not. <laughs> but whenever you go to the store and you buy a computer, the backside of that computer is built into that thing. The genius of somebody put together the guts, the brains, uh, the capabilities were put in the backside. When you go to buy a computer, you don't, hopefully, you don't take it out of the box and start jerking the back off of it. And start looking to see what this looks like. To see, well, can I figure this out? You best leave the cover on it. Right? Yeah? Yeah. Why? Because there's a level of genius that the average user has no business touching into. Right? It took years to develop. It took billions of dollars to develop the technology. And then to have the equipment and all the, all, all the circuits and everything in place to these micro-sized things that hold your life on something this big. It's, 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 it's brilliant. But the average user is not to that level of genius, right? So what they do, they, they, put, they do all the backside work that holds all the technology, all the years of study, all the real money is in the backside. And then they say, you just look at the front. You just use the front screen. Don't touch into this. Have you ever noticed kids? I mean, you can see these little kids in here. Every single one of them loves technology. Every single one of them loves a computer, loves a gaming device. They love something, and they're better at it than most adults, aren't they? They are. They're quicker to pick it up. I mean, and they navigate their way around that. Because really, the only way to use a, learn a computer is you have to get your hands on it and navigate through it. You have to go in and out and see what, what button does what, right? You, you need, you, it does help to have a little bit of instruction to that. But kids, they just click on everything. Just, they're just clicking in and out, and you're going, oh my gosh, you're going to burn that thing up. You're just clicking in and out of things so fast. And uh, the reason they're so good at it is they don't care if they're going to break it. They don't care. They don't, they don't think about the cost. They don't think about everything that went in to make this thing work. So they just click away. I was, um, I, we used to have a, a computer guy that was on staff with us. And I had him to order me a new computer. So he ordered it and they downloaded all the programs and stuff on it I needed. And so they gave it to me and I went on the road. And I didn't like just one little aspect of something on the screen. And I thought, you know something? I'm not going to say, well, I'll just wait and let the computer guy do it. I'm as smart as a kid. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
You know, I thought they're not afraid to break it. I'm not going to be afraid to break this thing. I'm going to find out if I can change the aspect of this thing. I clicked about three different things and the screen went black. I go, ah, shoot. So I was without a computer the rest of the trip. I brought it home to my computer guy. He looked at it and did some things and he said, Pastor, you corrupted the hard drive. I said, how'd I do that? He says, I don't know. (laughs) He said, is this under warranty? (laughs) So what happened, I started getting into arenas Uh that I wasn't equipped to get into, and it affected the genius of that thing. Right? (laughs) I should have just stayed on the front side of that thing. The plan of God... He's already built the backside of your life into place. Everything, the genius of God is in the backside of his plan for you. All the wisdom you're going to need, all the authority you need, all the health you need, all the provision, all the clarity you need. Everything about your life is totally mapped out. You know, the... the, the, the thing about computers, every once in a while, they'll send out, say, you need an update. Mm-hmm. Right. Why? Because they gained a little bit more. Mm-hmm. They gained some more understanding, some more uh, something about how to make your device work better. God never has to give you an update. It's all in there at birth. It's all in there. He never retracts one part because someone left your life. Or he never adds to some part just because someone came into your life. It's all already built in. No updates needed. Amen. But the backside of the plan of your life is God's side. We have no business touching into the backside of that thing. Because if we do, we're going to mess it up. You know what touching into the backside looks like? When's it going to come? How's he going to do it? Who's he going to use? That's all the backside of something. Your your part, man's side, is the front side. Amen. Amen. Just stay on the front side of something. But even the front side has to be trained. It's called, if you're not trained, it's called user error. You know, a lot of people just say, just show me where the power button is on this computer. Just show me the very basics. But there's so much genius in that computer that if we don't learn more than the very basics, we're going to leave so much genius untapped. My husband would always get very frustrated when staff members would come and say, I need a new computer. I need this for our department. It was always, you know, they wanted more equipment for TV or more equipment for uh, the, the recording, something, something. They wanted more equipment, and they always got the, the lecture beat down. <laughs> we had to bear the brunt of the error of previous staff members. That in the 70s, when he had his first church, his staff came to him and, and was singing the praises of that computers were coming out. 
So they said, we need this because we can have the partner system put in there. It can generate all this stuff. And they just did him a sales job on what it could, what it could do, which it could do that. Yeah. But back in the 70s, the computer filled a room. It was a room. He said there was an entire room that that computer took up. And he said, and it cost $100,000 in the 70s. And he bought this $100,000 computer for the staff that was singing the praises of the genius of this staff. And he said, and all they ever did was use it like a Rolodex. You know what a Rolodex is for those? It's an address book. You just flip through it. He said, all they ever did was put the names of the congregation members, the partners in it, and their addresses and their phone numbers, and they never gained any skill with this big box of genius that they had. And he said he was always put out because for the rest of his life, every time we wanted a computer, he told us the story. of how he spent $100,000 on a computer that filled the room and they never gained any skill with it. And so we got the lecture beat down. Are we going to learn to use this thing? Amen. God has hardwired the plan of redemption for our life and built it into the genius of His plan for us, but we have to learn the front side or we just have all this genius untapped. Does that make sense to you? So many people are just content with using their plan of redemption like a Rolodex, getting the bare minimum out of it. Just barely enough to squeak by in life. When there is all of this capability of the plan of redemption that will put you on top in every single arena, that will make life sweet, that will put you always in front of every situation, but it's up to user ability. And thank God we're not left to try to fumble our way through learning the greatness of the genius built into this plan of redemption, but we have genius instruction called the Holy Ghost. He is a teacher, a divine teacher to help us learn the genius of what God has done for us. The wisdom of God. Amen. Are you there with me in Ephesians chapter 2? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Again, this is the Amplified. It says, for we are God's own handiwork. Now think of that. That computer is the handiwork of all of those men of technology. But we are the handiwork of God. Amen. Think of that. We are His handiwork. What handiwork did He do in us? The next phrase tells us, recreated in Christ Jesus. That's the handiwork of God in our life. He made us new creatures in Christ and everything that goes with that. That's His part. That's the backside of the plan of redemption that's in place for your life. It's already fully planned, fully developed. Amen? Amen. Now the next phrase is our part. Born anew that we 
may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which He prepared ahead of time. Think of this, taking paths which He prepared ahead of time. Every path you're going to need in this life, He prepared it ahead of time. Think of that, the, the, the brilliance of God. He is so impressive that before your life ever showed up, His path for your life was already made clear. Everything you're going to need built into that path. Notice this, but for us taking paths, it's our job to take the path that He built for us. Taking paths which He prepared ahead of time before time began, that we should walk in them. He can't walk in them. He, can, he only prepared it so that we could walk in them. That we should walk in them, and this is the result of walking in them, living the good life which He prearranged and made ready for us to live. Yeah. Notice, the only, the only life He made ready for us to live was a good life. A good life. If we're living a hard life, we're, we're off the plan. That's good. Amen. If we're living a victim life, uh -huh. we're off the plan. Right. If we're living a broke life, a sick life, we're off the plan. Because Amen. the only thing His plan authored was the good life. Amen. Right. Amen. So you say, well, Pastor Nancy... I'm not living as good as I could. I know I couldn't. I know I'm not. I know I could live better. Then what, uh, you say, how do I get there? Be better at the front side. Don't, uh, it's, it's called user skill, user ability of this, this technology of God's plan for your life. Get more skillful at it. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, if we could say it this way, this center aisle here is a path. If that path were to represent God's plan for your life, on that path, when you walk that out, is everything your life is going to need. Income, the right spouse, the right local church, the right friends, everything you need, the things for your children, every, everything your life needs it's not enough to walk the path. You have to use your faith as you walk the path. Because everything is there on the path, but it's by faith that you activate what has been prepared and put on the path. Just taking the path, things won't automatically fall into place for you. You have to walk it by faith. Because it's by faith that you take hold of that path. Now, if you decide, well, I'm going to live my own life. I'm going, to pick, I'm going to pick who I marry. I'm going to pick what job I do. I'm going to pick which house. I'm going to decide where I live. You can walk over here off path all you want, but the only thing is none of God's provision is over there. Why in the world would you say, I want to live my own way when nothing of God is there? Then you're left to your own genius. Well, that puts a lot of us out in a, in a bad place, doesn't it? Because I would hate to think that my own life could only ever look like my thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. If I walk His path, then my life looks like His thoughts. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Now, turn with me, if you would, to Psalms chapter 77. Psalms chapter 77. <clears throat>
and we're going to start reading in verse 14. Again, I'm going to read out of the Amplified. If you have an Amplified that you can look at, it would help you to follow along with that because the wording is a little bit more amplified. <laughs> Psalm 77 verse 14 says, You are the God who does wonders. You have demonstrated your power among the peoples. You have with your mighty arm redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. Verse 16. When the waters at the Red Sea and the Jordan saw you, O God, they were afraid. So look at this. The waters saw him. This isn't just poetic words. The, wa the waters saw him. Verse 16, when the waters at the Red Sea and the Jordan saw you, O God, they were afraid. The deep shuddered also, for all the waters saw you. The clouds poured down water. The skies sent out a sound of rumbling thunder. Your arrows went forth in forked lightning. The voice of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings illumined the world. The earth trembled and shook. Verse 19, your way in delivering your people. Now he's talking about when he delivered them out of Egypt. Your way in delivering your people was through the sea. And your paths through the great waters. Now note, remember what he said, taking paths that he prepared. Taking paths that he prepared ahead of time is what Ephesians says. But it says, your paths through the great waters, yet your footsteps were not traceable, but were obliterated. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. You go, well, Pastor Nathan, what's all that? I just hear a bunch of weather things going on. <laughs> He's saying this, before the people ever got there, he had already walked that yeah. Red Sea. And the waters saw him wow. walk them. Wow. And they were afraid. They stood back. Wow. His footprints were already made. And when Moses stretched forth his rod, the waters parted. And now they saw the path Amen. that God had already walked. When did he walk it? Right before they got there? Before the world was founded. He walked that and said, one day you're going to be the path my children are going to take. Amen. His footsteps are already there. You know what this means? The path for your life, his footsteps have already yes. walked it. Yes. Every need you've ever faced, yes. you'll ever face has seen his footsteps. Yes. Amen. Amen. What's that mean? No, no more cause for worry ever again. He's already met the need. He's already provided. I will never worry. Faith is not a struggle when you know that God, God beat me there. God beat me there. Now, this is the problem that Moses had at the Red Sea. God led them to a place where they were hemmed in. Mm -hmm. That was God's direction. Yeah. Why? Because he had a path for them to take. They couldn't figure out and they had never seen anyone take it. Yeah. Just because you can't yeah. figure it out doesn't mean you shouldn't show up where he tells you to be. That's good. Amen. You get where God tells you to be, whether you've seen anybody else go there or not. They're faced with the Red Sea. There's a mountain range on the right. There's a mountain range on the left. There's no escape. And there is a mad Egyptian army with dead firstborn coming after them. Right. 
ready to take them back into captivity, thinking they're going to take them back. And Moses is faced at the Red Sea and he starts praying. God says, God rebuked him for praying. Why? It's wrong to pray when it's time to act. When it's time to obey, it's wrong to pray. Prayer is right unless you're doing it in fear, unless you're doing it in unbelief. And God said to Moses when he started to pray, why are you talking to me about this? You stretch forth your rod. In other words, it's time for you to do something about what I've already prepared for you. Many people are praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying for the plan. He's already prepared the plan. Now it's time for us to do something toward that plan. Now, don't misunderstand me. We have to pray out so that we gain light of the plan, but we're not praying so he'll get us a plan. He's already in his genius and wisdom prepared the plan. We pray so that we can come to know what the plan is. And then once we know it, it's time to quit praying and time to start acting on the plan we know. Because you can't pray into action what only, you can't pray into manifestation what only your action can lay hold of. Prayer is a part of it, but without acting, it, it, re- it won't really matter that you know what the plan is if you're not going to walk it out. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God already prepared their route of escape before they ever showed up at the water. They didn't see it, no, because the waters were covering it. Right. Isn't that what it said, that the waters obliterated his footsteps, so the waters had to get out of the way so they could see the path. God is so impressive. Aren't you thrilled at the thought of that? And is your little mortgage really that big of a deal? Me, oh, I don't know, it might be too big of a house. Really? Really? If that's, if that's where your joy would be full, is it too hard for the plan of God? He's already prepared for everything you ask for. I remember the day I got born again. It was October 3rd, 1980. I had been working at Merrill Lynch. Merrill Lynch is an investment firm. And I had quit there about a month before. This was in Oklahoma City. And um, I was going down the road on the way to meet my brother-in-law for lunch. He He worked at Merrill Lynch and we were going to meet for lunch. I was going to pick him up. And so uh, on the way there, I got born again. God had been uh, dealing with me for six months. And so I got born again on the way there, going down the Oklahoma City Highway. And I said to God, once I got born again, I said, God, I don't have any money to get a Bible. Would you get me some money to get a Bible? I walked in to pick up my brother-in-law in the office My former boss said, Nancy, he said, come in here. I went into his office and he said, you know that this office is not the office that cuts the paychecks for the employees. I go, yeah, every paycheck is is out of the New York City office. So they will cut checks and they mail them to the offices. And so he said, "Um, a check arrived with your name on it, a month after you are no longer here, a check arrived with your name on it. So I contacted the New York office and I said, she's no longer an employee here. And I thought they would just say, void it out. And they said, give it to her anyway. (laughs) So I pray that prayer 
And by the time I arrived, there's the money I needed so that I could buy myself a Bible. And it was already waiting for me in the office. Yes. Wow. But God had it there before I prayed it. Wow. Why? Because he knew what I'd pray. Yep. And he already had the total supply for what I had not even asked for yet. But it still waited for me to show up. He's planned everything for your life. Every supply to every desire you will ever have, he's already planned it. Amen. Amen. Do we see how wrong then it is when Jesus said, take no thought for your life? Because you're accusing his plan of not being enough. You're accusing him of not having said, done what he said he's already done for you. Worry is wrong every time. Every time. Every time. We had... uh, of course, at my husband's home going, you might have heard me talk about it. We had eight projects that we, com- that we had to complete. He'd been working on them for five years to get them completed. And God enabled us to get them done within the year after he died. And one of the things was we had to, we had to refinance the building. He had made an agreement with the bank because the bank had been bought out by another bank. And the new bank said, we don't fund churches. So they wanted us off their books. And they said, if we lower your interest, will you agree to come off of our books and get refinanced somewhere else? He said, yes. They said, we're going to give you a year and a half to do it. Well, he had already gone for a year and couldn't get it refinanced because we had a half-finished building on the property. Right. And, new, and other banks are not looking to refinance you with, with half-finished projects. Yeah, they right. want completed projects. Right. But he, had, he, he was paying cash as he went and had run out of money, so he had stopped. And so $400,000 was needed to finish the building. And I needed to finish that building or I couldn't get off the books of this bank and get another funder. And so <clears throat> the bank, really, we had run out of our past our year and a half agreement. And really, if the bank wanted to, and this is kind of what they were kind of implying, we're going to call your note due, right. take over the property. Uh, so they were implying that to me to kind of stir it along. Listen, you don't have to threaten me. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Just get in line. <laughs> and so I was in Georgetown, Texas preaching, and I was getting ready to go to the service one night, and I received a communication from the bank and said, by tomorrow we want to know where you're going to get that $400,000 from to finish that building. Well, my gosh, if, don't you think that if I knew where it was, then the stupid building be finished? It's not like, Pastor Ruby, can I look in your purse? I haven't looked in your purse yet. If I had it, it would have been done. So they knew I didn't have it. And I said, I, I said right then, I said, their pressure is not my pressure. I will not take man-made pressure under myself. They're going to keep their own pressure. And so I had to go preach that night. So I go and preach. I come back to the hotel because you understand I'm very, I'm very light towards business, meaning this, I don't, I don't bear down into it. I just treat it lightly. And so I got back to the room and I was doing so I go, oh yeah, they want to know where I'm getting $400,000 tomorrow. I guess I need to address this because otherwise I just treat it light, you know? So I said, father, 
I don't know where that money is, but you have already planned. If I did not have that mentality, that could have been a very dark place for me because I could have lost the property not remembering that God already had a plan. When any Christian loses something, they forgot that God already had a plan for that need. So I said, Father, you already have the plan. I have no idea what the plan is, and I certainly can't figure out a plan. I don't know where $400,000 is tucked away overnight. I don't know where that's at. And I certainly can't go out and preach that much to get it by tomorrow. So I have no capability for that. But I said, but you've already planned it. I only have to find out where it is. Where's the plan? I only have to know what you planned. That's all I have to know. So I said that in English, and I said, Father, I'm going to lay here and pray in the Spirit. Because see, the Holy Ghost knows the mind of God. He will take the mind of God and make my own spirit to know what God already planned. So I said, I'm going to lay here and pray in the Spirit so I can touch into the mind of what the Holy Ghost knows about your thoughts. I laid there. I quieted my mind. I wasn't sitting there trying to figure out, okay, where can I get the money? Who can I call? Who can I call? Because I know preachers. Yeah. My dad had even said, honey, you need money? He, he called me every day after my, da- after my husband died. Every single day my dad called and said, do you need money? And I, every day I said, no, daddy, I don't need money. He said, I got a million dollars I can get to you overnight. I can wire it to your bank. I said, no, daddy, because if I did, if I used man to bail me out, I've lost skill. I have weakened my faith. I have damaged my faith and I've lost my testimony to my family because I can never tell them God brought us through. And my testimony matters to me. Every day. Now, believe me, the flesh would have loved to say, Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I know that is going to be an aborting of God's plan. Yeah. So I just laid on my bed and I prayed in the spirit for about 10 minutes. At the end, 10 minutes, mm-hmm. 10 minutes. Yeah. At the end of 10 minutes, like a bubble up floated the answer. And he told me exactly what to do. I went into the bank as soon as I got home. I gave them the idea that God told me, because yeah, I didn't know yeah, if they'd do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't deal with banks. My husband dealt with banks. Uh-huh. But God said it to me. God said, present this to them. Yeah. And I did. And they said, oh, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> and I said, but that's what God said to me. So what's, that, what's the word say? Faith comes by hearing. I said, they said, no, they need to hear it again. <laughs> So I went through it and told the whole thing again. Yeah, yeah, come on. And they said, no, we're not, we're not doing that. Yeah. So I go, mm, they don't have faith yet. <laughs> they need to hear it again. So I told them a third time, started, I said, do you understand? If you do this, it will get me off the books. The building will get finished. Everything will get handled. And it dawned on the lady, finally. She goes, It clicked with her. She listened because, see, in there, she went in there with the thought of what they were going to do. And I presented them something else. And so they weren't even processing what I was saying to them. 
because they already had their plan. But I presented a different plan. But the thing is, I had to stick with it till everybody involved had faith enough to follow it. I had to keep them hearing it. They had to hear it and hear it. They had to hear it three times. At the end of three times, you could tell finally she listened. She goes, oh, that's a good idea. I don't know why that wouldn't work. She said, I will talk to the committee about it tomorrow. Well, she's the head of the committee. All I had to do was persuade her. So the next day she called and said, the committee will do that. You can go ahead and finish the building. It was, I didn't borrow money. They gave me money. That was theirs. Because God already had a plan. My job was not to create the plan. My job was to hear the plan and walk it out. How do I hear the plan? You're going to have to spend time listening to him. And let me tell you this. You have to care that there's a plan. You have to care. A lot of people don't care. But I care. Don't you care? But you also have to know this. The plan is already formulated. The genius of God has already created and put the plan in place. It's waiting for faith to take hold of it and walk it out. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Turn with me, if you would, to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. You know, God delivered his people out of Egypt. He told them, I have a land that I have given you. I give you the land. So they had the title deed of it in the spirit realm before they even took possession of it in the natural. It was already theirs. But they didn't have the faith enough to go and take hold of what had already been planned. What had already been made theirs. So what they did, they wandered for 40 years in a land that wasn't theirs. They lived on the edge of ruin all the time. They only had enough food for the day. You say, well, it was manna. It was from heaven. Yeah, but it was only enough for a day. Only enough for the day. If we're going to live outside of God's plan, everything is going to be a stretch. Everything is going to be hard. You'll only just have barely enough because God loves his children. He doesn't want them to do without, but they'll only ever have barely enough. Why? Because they're out of the plan. But when they're in the plan, it was a land flowing with milk and honey. What's that mean? Abundance. They don't just have enough for a day. They got enough for a life. Amen. Amen. But they would not honor the plan. Mm -hmm. They would not with their faith, believe the plan. And so they didn't lay hold of the plan. Well, so an entire generation died off. An entire, uh, entire generation of doubters. That's where doubters live, in the wilderness, never arriving. I want to arrive at the plan of God. I don't want to wander my whole life. We'll try this. We'll try that. We'll marry this one. We'll try marrying this one. We'll try marrying that one. That gets, there's nothing so tiring is being out of the will of God. Nothing is as tiring. Mentally, physically, spiritually, nothing drains you like being out of the will of God. Because you're having to form everything yourself. And God wants His wisdom for your life, not yours. Amen? And that's a positive. That's not a negative. He's not taking your will from you. He's just offering you His genius as you want it. 
Really, yes. that's all it is. Yeah. It's that simple. Yes. So the first generation that was deliver delivered out of Egypt, they died off. And so God told Joshua, as they quoted this morning, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. This is how you're going to get in it. This is how you're going to get into the land. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate in it there and day and night. So thou must observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Yeah. Then thou shalt have good success. Yeah. It's, not God, it's not God doing it. They, they had to walk it out. And he was telling them the way you're going to find out how to walk it out is the word. You've got to gain skill with the word. What's that mean? Skill with the front side of that thing. Skill with the front of that computer. You've got to learn your way around that keyboard. You've got to learn your way around those programs on the computer, right? To be skillful user, right? So many people don't care to learn it. If somebody's going to do it for them, if somebody will sit down and work their computer for them and print this out for them, they'll be glad to benefit from it. But if they ever have to learn any of themselves, they just don't want to learn it. I've decided, Dr. Sumrall made this mm -hmm. statement. He said, always stay on the cutting edge of technology. That's good. That's good. Why? Because, and, and I ha I've seen, as I get older, I don't want to be the only one in the room who can't work this stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm going to educate myself all along the way. Why? Because it shows an interest in, in going further. Many people are okay, but just not going further. That, yeah. you know, but I don't want to be that way. I want to be going further. I want to put a demand on myself. Why? Because that not only, that'll play out into my spiritual habits too. I want to put a demand on my redemption. I want to put a demand on the Word of God. Amen. 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 So God was telling Joshua, this is how you're going to put a demand on the plan of getting into that promised land. And so in Joshua chapter 2, verse 8, um, I'm going to pick up reading about uh, how Joshua sent two spies into the land. And Rahab, who was a harlot, took in the two spies. And you say, well, they shouldn't have gone there. Listen, the, the, the public didn't, didn't think anything about men going there. They were cloaked, basically, by going to her. Nobody suspected, so yes, to speak, yes. that something was suspicious that men were going in that they didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. And they're searching for these two spies and she hides them up on her roof. When she takes them up to hide them on the roof, this is where we pick up this story in Joshua chapter 2, verse 8. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them, talking about the spies up on the roof. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. My gosh, she's not a Jew. She wasn't even delivered. She's not a Hebrew. And she knows more than the people wandering for 40 years didn't know. No wonder God used her. She had more faith than his own people. She says, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt and what you did under the two kings. And look at verse 11. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. 
For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. What's she saying? She's saying, when we heard how the Red Sea parted for y'all, all of us determined we're not fighting you. What's that mean? On the backside, God had disarmed their enemies, but because of unbelief, they never showed up to take advantage of the land and they were not even going to fight them. They said, no courage to, our hearts fainted. We weren't even going to fight. We were just going to give you the land. And she's basically saying this, where were you? Why didn't you show up? We were waiting. We were expecting you. What is that? God had already completed the backside, but because the front side didn't look like they thought it should look, they didn't, they didn't take hold of what the backside had already authored. Just because circumstances don't look like they're going to offer you something good. Just do what God said anyway. Circumstances must change. They had no idea. See, the 10 spies that that doubted said, we were as grasshoppers in their sight. So we we were in our sight. So we were in their sight. In other words, we knew we can't fight them. There's giants in the land. We can't do it. God had already disarmed them. They were not going to fight for the land. But what happened, waiting 40 years, they gave their enemy time to arm themselves. They gave their their enemy time to fortify themselves. Now they had a fight that they wouldn't have had if they would have gone in 40 years earlier. Anytime we delay on acting, we give the devil time to sabotage the plan. Amen. Amen. Remember what Joshua and Caleb said, let us go up at once and possess it. Let's go up at once. Why don't give the enemy time to work a a plan against us? Anytime God tells you to do something and you delay doing it, the devil works on your mind. Doesn't he? He, Let's say God tells you to give $500 to somebody and you delay doing it and you go, well, well, let me think a minute. I got to calculate. Do I have mortgage? Do I have that? And what happens with every delay, you're giving the devil time to work on your mind. If you'd have gone up at once and just did what he said, you would have bypassed that season of harassment on your mind. Well, praise the Lord. I said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. When my husband and I came to, to, out of Oklahoma to California back in 1991, God spoke to us in 1989 to come. But Ed had a plan. (laughs) And Ed's plan was, because we had a building there that seated a thousand people. It was on 85 acres. He had just finished the building. Dad Hagen had come and dedicated it. And within two months, Ed says, God told me, spoke to me and said, I want you to go back to California and get positioned for the last day revival. So Ed's plan was, I'm gonna sell this building. I'm gonna go to California with all this cash. (laughs) And I'm going to buy a building and get my headquarters set up. Well, that didn't happen. Why? Because that was Ed's plan. It wasn't God's plan. It was Ed's plan. So we sat there for two years waiting for Ed's plan. (laughs) And Ed's plan didn't happen. (laughs) And the only thing that happened was debt. Uh Because when you get off the plan, then something that's not of the plan starts working for you. And that was debt. And we got further and further in debt. Two years of debt built up. Then we thought, all right. I said one day, Stephen and I are going to California. He said, what do you mean? I said, Stephen and I are going to California. 
What do you mean? You're going to fly out there without me? Yes. I'm flying there without you. God told us to be there. I'm going to go. We weren't mad. We weren't in contention uh-huh. with yeah. one another. Yeah. It's just that it dawned on me. God told us yeah. I'm going yeah. Yeah. and I've stayed and suffered. So we're going. So I got Stephen and I out there that same day. We flew out on a Monday. Uh, by five o'clock that day, I had rented a home and I was in it. And I had somebody had given us a little TV like this. I had gone to Target. I bought a, ta- a table to put it on. I bought one lamp and I bought towels and wash rags. That's it. That's all we had. We had no furniture. We slept on the floor. We sat on the floor and waited for it to show up. Two weeks later, he showed up. He had gone, he had to go preach. And I said, I'm out here. I got a house. He says, you got a house. I got a house, (laughs) California. But I had to put it all on credit cards. Why? Because we had run out of everything, run out of everything. Why? Because when you get off the plane, it costs you everything. everything. So we struggled. Oh my goodness. Trying to recover from two years of disobedience Uh is not just an overnight thing. When you delay obedience, you're delaying also some manifestations of right. some things. Wow. So we lived in a home. It is brand new, beautiful home. It just, we rented it. And uh, it would say, you know, God's going to give us a home. Well, I believe that God's going to give us a home. But I, I did the finances. Mm-hmm. And one thing he never did was say how much money we got. No need asking. We don't have it. <laughs> I'm talking like, do I buy postage stamps to mail this or not? Because I only have $60 period for the month. Wow. We had a rented car. We had sold our car. We had rented couch. We didn't even have a house full of furniture, but the furniture we had was rented because we didn't have enough money to buy it. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, we were in a hard place. Slow to obey is a hard place. And so uh, he was talking about, we're going to buy a house. This, this is absurd <laughs> to talk about. To the natural mind, yeah. it's absurd yeah. to talk about buying a house right. when we can't even buy postage stamps. Yeah. <laughs> right? right. Yeah. But I knew. I was not mad at that. Yeah. I didn't kick against that or resist that yeah. because I knew God can work. Ed would get up early in the morning and he would go to 7-Eleven. He'd go every morning and get his coffee and get his USA Today. He loved getting up and getting out and start, start seeing people. Ed was the type. Me, it's like, don't say anything in the morning. Don't say anything. I'm not cranky. I'm just not interested in talking. I don't want to talk. And Ed would open his eyes and his feet would hit the floor the moment his eyes opened and he'd start talking. And he would say, well, what are we going to do about that? I go, "Mm, no, no, we cannot go there right now. It's six o'clock, five thirty, five, four. We can't go there. No, I can't do this, this first thoughts of the morning. So he would go out and find somebody, you know, so he'd go down to 7-Eleven so he could talk to somebody. Well, this one morning he walked in and there was a stack of homes for sale. You know, the magazines of homes for sale in your area. 
There was a magazine there that had a home on the front. And when Ed walked into 7-Eleven, his eyes fell upon that magazine and the word of the Lord came to him and said, that's your house, the house that was on the cover. So Ed picks up that magazine, he brings it home, he throws it down on the kitchen counter. And he says, when I saw this magazine, God said, that's our house. I said, all right. I said, when are you gonna go see it? He said, today, <laughs> but that's it. So he called a real estate guy that was in our church. We went and saw the house and said, yeah, we'll take it. It was a house about, I don't know, about 4,000 square feet, set on four and a half acres. And uh, he said, yeah, we'll take it. And so he said, contact the owners. Come to find out the house had been built two years prior and it had sat empty since it had been built. No one had ever lived in it. And so there was, a, there was a woman in Orange County that she was an investor. She had had the home built. She had two grown sons. They were in their 40s and 50s and they handled all of her business. And so she sent her sons down to talk to because the real estate agent got hold of her and said, there's a buyer interested in your, in your home. And so she sent her sons to meet with Ed. Ed goes and meets with the two sons and says to them, said, God told me this is, a, this is my house. And he said, I don't have any money. What can you do to get me in it? <laughs> that was all that was said. And they said, well, we can't tell you anything to get you in it because it's not ours to tell. Yeah. Mother is the one that yeah. makes the decision. So we, can't, we don't have any information to give you to get into the house. So they go back. He said, well, you go talk to your mother, then you come back to me. <laughs> we didn't know who the woman was. So the, the sons go back to their mother, and they said, Mom, there is a preacher there in Murrieta who wants to buy that home that you built there. She said, what's the preacher's name? Said, well, his name is Ed Dufresne. She said, 15 years ago, I went to his church in Torrance, California, and God healed me in that service. Whatever it costs, get him in that house. What was that? The backside was already in place. The back side was already in place. If we would have just gone off the front side, there's no calling a real estate agent. Right, right. There's no, there's even no need to go look at a house if we're just working off the front side. But see, the front side has to function based on knowing there's something already built into the back side. So I can, even when things don't look like they make sense, the backside holds the genius. The backside holds the plan. The backside holds all the avenues, all the provision of God, all the supply of God. And so when you're in front of your life, always sit there with your mind on what's in the back. What God has already planned, what God has already put in place, what God has already fully supplied for you. Amen. Anybody ever heard of a fellow named George Mueller? He um, had an orphanage in Bristol, England. During that time in Bristol, England in the 1800s, he was born in 1805. And uh, that time during in Bristol, England, um, there were so many plagues that were going on there. The government had poor houses were all they had in place to to care for people that could not, you know, provide for their own lives. Those poor houses were places where people that were mentally off would congregate, where the violent would congregate, the criminals would congregate. So the poor houses were a bad option. And there were so many children that were orphaned due to the plagues and things that just in Bristol, England, it's estimated there were 250,000 orphans living on the streets. 
of Bristol, England during his time. They all became thieves. Why? Because that's the only way they could eat. And so, I mean, little kids, they would beat up on each other. And if one got food, the others would come and beat him up and take the food. It was a very rough life. And so George Mueller saw this and God began dealing with him about starting an orphanage. And he did. Over time, at the time of his death at 93, people in Bristol, England, the, England, the average lifespan was 40. He was 93 when he went home to be with the Lord. Faith will keep you alive for a good yes. long time. The plan of God will keep you alive. Yeah. You understand? Yes. Living the plan of God will keep you alive. That's right. Amen. And so uh, he uh, ended up buying acreage on the edge of Bristol, England, and built multiple buildings. And I'm talking massive buildings that housed the orphans. And he housed, at the time of his death, around 2,500 orphans at one time he could house. Wow. And uh, he was so well known in the community and very admired. And he just believed God for the care, the everyday care of these orphans. God began dealing with him. I think he built eight large homes. And I'm talking about block size homes, several stories high, fabulous buildings, not just the bare minimum. They were brick structures. They're, in, they're still there today. They're still being utilized today. And uh, fabulous things. But he would not start building till he had all the money. He didn't borrow. And so he would believe God for the money. Once the money would come, he would just build it and they would just start the construction, never have to stop because he already had the money in place. Yeah. And so uh, he was believing God for the money and he needed 20,000 pounds. Now, 20,000 pounds back then was uh, in dollars. It would take about one pound to five dollars for us. So that's about 100,000 pounds, 100,000 dollars rather. Their 20000 would be about $100,000 in the 1800s. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. Yes. So he was believing God for 20,000 pounds. And he said people would give him this amount and this amount. And he would say, thank you very much. And every time he would be given something, he'd say, Father, this isn't all that I need. I thank you for all that I need. <laughs> and every time somebody give him an offering, he'd say, Father, thank you for this, but it's not all I need. So I thank you for all that I need. And he would always thank God for that 20000 He said at one time he received the largest gift that he had ever received, which was a 1,000 pounds. And that's a $5,000. That's $5,000 in our terms. In the 1800s, that's a big gift from one person back then. And so he said, Father, thank you for this, but this is not all we need. So thank you for all that we need. He was always reminding God, and one day a young man came to him about 19, 20 years old. And he said, Mr. Mueller, he said, uh, I'm called to India to be a missionary. And he said, my parents have said, no, they will not allow me to go to India. So he said, I'm just going to go anyway. And he said, son, he said, the word says, honor your mother and father. And he said, let's not decide to go against them. Let's pray. Let's pray that God will move on their heart. And he said, Mr. Mueller, you don't understand. He said, my parents, they're, they're, um, they're not royalty. 
I don't I don't remember the terminology, but they're in they're you know they have a um, a title of some sort. They're very wealthy. Mm-hmm. He said they're high up. You know, in in England, the social classes were very distinct, yeah. and uh-huh. everything was run right. by social class. And so they were like a, a notch under royalty, their title, whatever it was, lots of money. And uh, he said, you don't understand, they don't, God doesn't move on them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, you don't know my parents. And George Mueller said, you don't know my God. Yeah. <laughs> and so he said, we will pray. Two weeks later, the young man came back and said, my parents had a change of heart and they told me I could go to India. Wow. He said, but I have another prayer request. And the prayer request is my sister wants to go. She believes she's called, but we got to pray for my parents to let her go. <laughs> she was a couple of years younger than the brother. So can, you can imagine people of, uh, of title and two children going off to India. Wow. And that is not a easy decision to make. Right. Yeah. So George Mueller said, I will pray for her. About a week later or so, he gets a package in the mail with a letter on it. And this letter is from this girl. And she says, my brother told me that you prayed that my parents would allow me to go to India with my brother to serve as a missionary. And she said, and my parents have agreed. And so she said, I do not need the toys of my vanity any longer, so I send them to you. So in this box, it was about like this. He thought, toys. I've got 2,500 children. There's n- you can't give one child a toy. Yeah. They all get it or no one gets right. it, you know? And so he says, I thought, what am I going to do with this? So he opened it up and he said, when I opened the box, it looked like the crown jewels of England were in that box. He said there were diamond necklaces and rubies and sapphires and whole sets between the necklaces and the earrings and the rings and the bracelets. And he said, I told one of the boys, go down to the jeweler. This is one that they would use whenever people would give them any kind of jewelry as an offering. They would use this jeweler. The jeweler came in and he stood amazed over this box. And he said, these are some of the rarest jewels in the world. The quality of them. And he said, these are worth 750,000 pounds. You understand that? In 1850, that was 3.3 million pounds. Excuse me, dollars. In today's money, it's $102 million. One little girl that was not even of tax age yet. (laughs) Built into the backside Mm -hmm. of God's plan. And George Mueller stood and he made this statement. He said, we have a saying where he was from and he said the saying is this, God's time is the right time. God's time is the right time. And he said, When God created the world, he put these stones into the earth for my day today. He saw my day when these would reach my hand. And he said, and a miner mined the wealth of these precious stones out of the earth because he saw 
my need today. God saw my need today. And then a jeweler took those and set them in a beautiful, faceted setting. He said, because God saw my need today and planned it. And he said, and then this young girl in her youth saw the beauty of these and chose them because God saw my need today. Know this, everything God does is with you in mind. He said he has carved you on the palm of his hand. Carved you on the palm of his hand. So that when he sees his hand, he sees you. And his hand works for you. No matter what need you're facing, God has already fully provided for that need. It's waiting for your faith to, to lay hold of it. How did George Mueller lay hold of it? Every time somebody gave him a little bit, he said, Father, this isn't enough, but I thank you. For it'll all come. It'll all come. Well, God, God's put a business in my heart, but I don't have any money to start it. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. There's total provision for everything that he's put in your heart. It's already on the backside. The backside is the unseen realm. Don't let the screen you see trick you into thinking that that's all there is. There is a backside. Amen. (laughs) When you don't understand that there's a backside, you settle for less. You settle. There was a young boy that had never left an African village. He was about 12 years old. And for some reason, he ended up going to a nearby city. He had never been there. And he saw for the first time a light bulb. He ends up, he asked somebody, where can I get that? They said, well, this one store at home, I mean, there's a one store you can go down before you go home and buy this light bulb. He went and bought the light bulb and showed up at home and said, look what I got. But all he had was the front side. Uh He didn't have the wiring. He didn't have anything. He didn't understand it needed a backside. People who don't live for God don't understand their life needs a backside. And it needs it fully funded, fully supplied with answers and everything. Don't walk around just showing off the front of your computer. Look what I've done. Because really, you, didn't, you couldn't have done anything if there weren't capability built into the backside of that thing. Amen. Don't just walk around mindless about the backside. The backside makes the front side possible. Without the backside, the front side is not impossible. What's your need? What's in your heart? What has God said to you? A business? Maybe children coming back to God. God already has full provision for words that will bring them back. He knows who will talk to them. He knows. Amen. The genius of God, the wisdom of God is so impressive. And for us to cheat ourselves by all just all we think of is the front side of that screen. The reason we sit down at the front side of a computer is because we know there's something built into it that makes it work. Don't forget the back side when you're faced with a front side need. Amen. 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 Are you helped today? 
no worries, no fear, no wondering. It should change our conversation. I said it should change our conversation. The front side needs to learn to talk about the back side. Talk about the back side. Because if all you do is talk about the front side, then all you get is the front side. Bring what's on the back side around to the front with your faith. Amen. This is what Rahab the harlot said. This was already disarmed for you. Where were y'all? 40 years. Hallelujah. God's already got provision for that home. Already got provision for that business. Where were you? Where was your faith? Amen. Stand with me to your feet this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. It thrills us, Father. It thrills us to know that there's so much available to us. We thank you. We thank you that every single need represented in this building today, before the answer was already completed. And Father, we believe. We believe in the power of God. We believe that your plan holds every single answer for our life. Father, forgive us for worry. Forgive us for wondering. Forgive us for conversations that are void of faith. But we choose to focus on the fullness of your provision, the fullness of the plan of redemption, the fullness of the plan that you formulated for each and every life today. We release our faith. No more will we struggle. No more do we do without. Let me ask you this. If you just had a computer, you got the top of the line. I mean, that thing has the, the most amount. It's got the, the highest speed, everything. Could you just sit in front of that computer and make it work? You can't just sit there and look at the screen. You have to take an act. You have to take action. You can't just know that there's brains built into that computer. You have to do something to get those brains working in your behalf, right? Dr. Summerall said this, when I need something, I start doing something. He's not talking about doing something just in the flesh. He starts having an act of faith. Well, one of the best acts of faith you can do is start calling. Father, I call that supply. I believe that that supply is there. Another thing you can start doing, Father, I thank you. Just start worshiping. Just start worshiping. Every answer is built into the plan of my life. Every need is built in. Every supply for the need is built into the plan of my life. And I worship you for that. And I say that it comes in the manifestation. You have to call it in the manifestation. Praise it in the manifestation. Amen? Amen. Because just sitting in front of the computer, the thing won't automatically work. You have to work it. Amen? And it's our privilege to work it. There's some guys, you know, that I've had on staff, and they'd sit down, and I'd, you know, I'd say, I need to do this, that, and they'd just sit down and da 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 pop it out. And i go, no, 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 wait a minute. I don't want to just sit and watch you. You have to show me how to do that because I'm not content that I got to come to you every time I need something. 
I want to know how to do this and don't just sit and show off for me. I want my own skill. I don't want to be a victim of your skill. I want my own skill. So I, you slow down and you show me what you did. Don't just bypass me. Yeah. <laughs> well, we shouldn't be content to have the pastor know how to do it. Wait a minute, pastor. Say that again to me. I want to get that skill down in me. Amen. It's not content just to watch others be skillful. I want my own skill in the Word. I want my own skill in my faith. I want my own skill at receiving. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you that it's available to us. We give you glory and honor and praise. Let's just lift up our hands and lift up our voices and worship Him a moment. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father, for the greatness of your plan. We're so, so grateful, Father. We're so, so grateful. We're so, so grateful. We thank you, Father. 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 Somebody's been having problems with your knee. Just move that around. Lift that up. Do something you couldn't do. Maybe put extra weight on it somehow. Go up and down on it. Do something you couldn't do before. Hallelujah. There's complete provision for that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We thank you, Father. Then there's a problem that it runs completely up, uh, up, that, up that thigh. So there's something with the muscle that's being healed there too. Hallelujah. Just receive that. Just say, Father, I receive that. I thank you for that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody in the very back of your throat, right in here, you've been having issues. I don't know if there's a growth there or something, but there's something in the very back of the throat that has been causing you difficulty. Maybe it's some, something that's swelling up there or something, I don't know. If that's you, just receive your help this morning. We thank you, Father. We thank you for that healing power. We thank you for it, Father. Hallelujah. Somebody's foot has been injured somehow. There's healing for you right now. You can just receive that. We thank you, Father. Just put weight on that foot. Just shift your weight onto that. Or stomp down on it. Do something. Hallelujah. We thank you, Father. We give you glory and honor. We thank you. We glorify you, Father. We glorify you. Somebody, you've been having problems, and I don't know how to say it other than this way. Some, it just seems to circle around that waist area. There's been some kind of problems in that waist area, right around your waist. Hallelujah. Been pain and difficulty in there. Just receive healing. Just receive healing for that. Father, we thank you. We thank you for that, Father. We thank you for that. Hallelujah and backs are being healed. Something, something in this area, right in the sides, right in here, there's been, I don't know if it's something that's been pulled or something that's been injured somehow, but where there's, there's tightness and inability, just move. Just move that, receive that. Say, I receive that power. I receive that power. Just move that around. We thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, we thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. There's female organs being healed. There's uh, somebody else that had, um, 
I'm trying to think of the terminology that I've heard. I think they've called it like a fallen bladder to where it's not, is that the right terminology? Um, to where it's really not even in place anymore. And it's causing you all kinds of difficulty. God's putting that back in place right now. Hallelujah, just receive that. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. We glorify you. We magnify you. We thank you. Somebody has something right up this arm, right up the this area of it. I don't know if it's a muscle or a tendon that's been pulled or just something that's kept it from really having complete mobility. And it's caused you great pain and stiffness and difficulty in moving that. That's being healed right now. Hallelujah. We thank you for it, Father. We thank you for it, Father. We give you glory and honor and praise. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. Hallelujah. 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 Somebody uh, with their tonsils, something, there's some kind of infection that has gone on time and time again that's being healed. You won't have any more problem with that. So just receive that. You know, when I was little, I don't know if anybody remembers this, when I was little, they just jerked everybody's tonsils out. That was just kind of like standard procedure. Did they do that in the Philippines? I don't think they do that the same now anymore because I don't hear, I still got my tonsils. My sister lost hers and she lost other things. I think like ad noise or something like that. But uh, I got mine. But thank God that's not just a common practice. But I, I, I don't think, I don't, I don't know that I hear it anymore. Yeah. Maybe it's just where I was from. They just jerk everything out, you know. <laughs> but somebody's tonsils, you're not going to have that recurring problem. Hallelujah. We thank you for that, Father. We thank you. There's been an infection that it's, it's like it subsides and it seems like it goes away, but it never fully goes the way you think it did and it didn't and it erupts again. And then it just keeps back and forth because it never completely goes away. But that's being dealt with right now. Hallelujah. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. We glorify you. We glorify you. We thank you, Father. We praise you, Father. We praise you, Father. Hallelujah. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. We glorify you. We thank you, Father. Yes, Father. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. the Lord. Now if in those things that I called out, you can already tell the difference. Raise your hand. With something, some part of that, just raise your hand if you can already tell the difference with that. Something moving. Hallelujah. Can you tell the difference? What was it? Your back. Yeah, you can tell the difference. Did it? Feels good now? Did it have limit, did it limit your being able to twist or turn? Uh-huh. So it doesn't now. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. Father, you're so good. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your word. 
We thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the greatness of your plan. Father, we thank you. We thank you. Father, we thank you for days ahead that reveal and unfold the clarity of his plan and being very sensitive to it. And as you sense his dealings with you, don't come out from under those quickly, but lean into that. Meaning this, when you sense his anointing on you, do something that'll hold you in that place. Don't run off and do something natural that will cause it to lift. But when you sense his dealings, step aside and start praying in the spirit and give attention to that flow. And that flow will continue to work. And in that flow holds the clarity. In that flow holds the understanding. In that flow holds the unveiling of what he has for you. So we thank you for it, Father. We thank you for it. So stay in that as long as you can when it comes upon you. And if you'll, if you'll stay in it rightly, days and weeks at a time, you can stay in that place where the anointing is meeting you and flowing. We thank you for it, Father. We thank you for it, Father. Because that's where real living is, is in his plan. Father, we thank you. We thank you. For the next place. For the next season of her life. For the next thing that you have for her, Father. The grace. The grace to accelerate in it. Not just move into it, but accelerate in it and take great strides in that place. We thank you for it, Father. We thank you for it, Father. We thank you for it, Father. We glorify you, Father. We glorify you. We magnify you. We thank you for it. We thank you for it, Father. Hallelujah. We thank you. Jesus, we thank you for the great price that you paid. We honor that price, and we're thanking you. We're thanking you for the fullness of the blessings that belong to us to live in and walk in. And we give you glory and honor and thanks. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Pastor. Before, Father, just reach up your hands, congregation. Just reach up your hand. I thank you for the next place you have for them to go. I thank you for the next place you have for them to go. Now I speak increase in the name of Jesus upon this church, upon this congregation, upon these families, that they increase in every single arena because you have increase in mind for this body. May they think in terms of that increase. May they speak in terms of that increase. Let me just say this. The next place God has for you to go is going to require your words to get there. Your words of faith 
To get there faster, increase the speaking. Um, somebody got a Bible there handy? Um, I don't know if I need an Amplified or not. I don't remember if it's in the King James. Great. Go to uh, John 17 for me. I want to read something to you. Okay, John 17. Jesus praying. So if you ever want to know how Jesus prays, John 17 is it. And Jesus said, Father, I have given them the words that you gave to me. Now listen to this. I have given them the words that you gave to me. So he's letting us know the way Jesus fulfilled and accomplished things is through words. The words that God gave unto him. And he said in the same words that you've given unto me, I've given unto them. The best thing Jesus can ever give us is words. See, we think the best thing he can give us is money. Best thing he can give us is house. No, words get it all. Words get it all. Words get buildings. You understand that? Words get buildings. The more words you speak, the more, remember what I was saying about George Mueller? Somebody would give him something, he'd say, Father, thank you for this. But there's more. Yeah, there's more. And every time he just kept saying it and saying it and saying it. The next place God has for your life, the next place God has for this congregation, the acceleration of words will mean the acceleration of manifestation. Amen. Say it more. Listen to what comes out of your pastor's mouth about what the vision and God's put in his heart and say it, say it, say it, say it. Don't just, that's just not God giving him something to say to you. It's him saying it to you so you'll know what to say. Amen. So there's another place God has for this congregation to go and it's words that are going to get you there. I said it's words. It's all, the, the next place is already planned out. It's already, there's provision for it. There's resources for it. Everything it needs, it's already planned out. But it's words that bring it. If I, just like the keyboard brings onto the screen the brains of that computer, your words is what brings on into manifestations. Words of faith is what brings into manifestation what God has planned. Amen? So the more, the more you use the keyboard, the more it goes into that, that the more comes up on that screen. It's the same thing. The more you speak words, the more comes up of the plan. Amen? So God gave us words. Use them, use them, use them, use them. Because the further this congregation goes as a church, the further you go. I'm talking about in advancement, in promotion, in increase. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus said, I gave them words. He expects us to use them. He gave them to us so we'll use them and lay hold of. 
everything that words can accomplish. And how did, what can accomplish? Well, what about creation? I mean, that was done by words. The impossible comes to pass through words. Amen. Thank you, Pastor.